We often say love is the doctrine of this church and service is its prayer. Thank you for this invitation for Maxian and me to share about international and local service and our shared prayer. We're going to concentrate most of the time during this presentation on our Global Service Corps volunteer service learning experiences with a brief introduction to the Emerging Cogenerations Project and other local service opportunities we all have. Global Service Corps was launched in 1993 during my mid-career graduate work, and Maxine was always a key part of the Global Service Corps development. For the first 15 years, I fondly called Maxine my not-so-silent partner. And then she became the Global Service Corps Associate Director. We have come to recognize that Global Service Corps was greatly dependent on the relationships we formed, not only when we were de developing Global Service Corps, but even before. My paternal Methodist church lady grandmother was a very significant influence in my life. Grandma supported a Korean orphan, Cho Yu Tae, through his life and imbued, me, imbued in me the ethic of international social justice. My immigrant Russian grandfather became a labor leader and fought for unions. In my growing up years, my mom took me to demonstrations and to memorial services for Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy. So my passion for social justice is deep in my roots. During my mid-career graduate programs at Fielding, I studied the Peace Corps and decided to create a mini Peace Corps for adults that would provide the life-changing kind of cultural immersion service experience as the Peace Corps. So with Maxine's help, I launched Global Service Corps. We developed and continue to pursue a mission of Global Service Corps of helping people discover the joy of serving others. Mine is a story of bearing witness, self-discovery and transformation. From the poet Rumi, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise. So I'm changing myself. This speaks to my own evolving understanding that how I live affects others. And it speaks of what we always hoped for in our volunteer experience, volunteer participants experience to see the living conditions of how others live in the world and to make changes in one's own living. Our very first program was an environmental service project in Costa Rica. And this was a very big learning experience for us. We basically jumped into the work with both our feet and with neither one of us fluent in Spanish. The three images in the lower section are from the Monteverde Rainforest Preserve, where we worked on rainforest preservation issues. The images in the upper left and right-hand corner are from the Kuru Nature Reserve, where we did beach cleanup as a part of our environmental service program. While we were in Kuru, we were housed in a dilapidated shelter, which was originally for field workers back in the early years. Well, Rick is a wise man, and he let me be the one to decide if we were to take the room with the wasp's nest or the room with the bats. We were there for a week, and oh my God, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of that place. 
the night before we left, I was so excited I could hardly sleep. And in case you're wondering, I didn't want bats bumping into me in the middle of the night, so I opted for the room with the wasps. We continued to develop the Costa Rica program between 1993 and 2001. Besides the beach restoration and rainforest conservation project, we developed other programs of teaching English in public schools, other environmental projects, and medical and public health placement projects. In 1994, we started a program in Thailand. The gentleman in the lower right-hand corner is Pra Bart, an American ex-college professor, Buddhist monk. Global Service Corps established a Buddhist immersion program at Prabhart's monastery, where he acted as a meditation trainer for English-speaking visitors. I experienced the importance of Buddhism for Southeast Asians. We developed the Thailand program between 1994 to 2001, offering the following volunteer service projects, teaching English, HIV AIDS prevention, Buddhist immersion, orphanage care, international health. We then began a program in Kenya in 1995. You will see in this slide a lot of pictures of women's groups, which are one of the most important community organization structures in Kenya. In my first experience in Kenya, I noticed how often people would run late for agreed upon meetings. Sometimes they'd run hours and occasionally days late. Admittedly, in my Western sensibility, I would get a bit annoyed until it was finally explained to me that most people don't have cars and they rely on substandard buses and pickup trucks to get around. I also learned that because relationships are highly valued, people would visit when they see one another they know on the street rather than dashing off to catch a bus or to hurry up to get to a meeting or the village would stop everything to attend the funeral, which was becoming increasingly common due to AIDS. So now in Portland, I often remember those slow down times in East Africa where relationships are most important. I switch gears and instead of being in such a hurry, I zero in on being present. During 1995 to 2001, we continued to develop the HIV prevention education and sustainable agriculture training and programs. These became the foundation for our program expansion in Tanzania. As we expanded our program into Tanzania, we continued to have some amazing cultural learning experience as we developed our service learning programs. We never stayed in fancy places, but rather in homestays or hostels and hotels frequented by the locals. We were staying in a local hotel that of course had no elevator and there was a wedding party underway up on the top fourth floor. We weren't wedding guests, but we were standing at the doorway to the reception area to take in the festivities. While we were there, a disabled man who appeared to live on the street, crawled up four flights of stairs to the wedding. He couldn't walk, but he crawled up four flights of stairs. Once he arrived, the wedding coordinator immediately prepared a plate of, plate of food for this guest. You see, there's a social compact of being hospitable to guests and without question or disdain, this hospitality was extended to this guest who knew 
that if he made it all the way to the top fourth floor, he would be offered a plate of food. It was humbling to witness. During 2001 to 2015, in Tanzania, the service learning program really began to develop in these areas. This slide relates to our HIV prevention rural trainings. A group of women once thanked me for this training, but said the men are the ones you really need to be talking with. One of the big challenges we dealt with is that the men don't come to these trainings since culturally they are the boss. This slide relates to our HIV prevention rural trainings. Our youth day camps developed into community leadership programs and trained well over a thousand Tanzanian high schoolers while providing amazing cultural learning experiences for both our largely American youth volunteers and the Tanzanian students. Most of our volunteers made friends with local Tanzanians who are probably friends even to this day. We discovered that many people affected with HIV AIDS actually die from starvation because their internal organs began to break down. I'll never forget when we were invited to meet a woman seen in the left-hand corner in a state of near starvation from HIV AIDS. Due to stigma, she lost her home, her husband, her children, and became an outcast in society. She was just so happy that someone cared enough for her to come and see her. I'm quite certain that most of the young volunteers that were with me never forgot that experience either. As we expanded our sustainable agriculture and food security program, we trained more people in the rural areas. We taught range storage technology, raised bed and sack gardening, as well as construction of grain storage. Water was collected mostly by women and children who unfortunately were not in school. And usually they had to carry it from and to great distances. Can we in the Portland area imagine going to the river's edge to carry water home for all of our essential needs? Now we're careful at home about how we run the water from the faucet when we brush our teeth and when we rinse and wash the dishes. As these programs continue to develop, we launched semester and summer programs, providing a wonderful service learning experience for us all. Then something happened that really made a huge difference in our Tanzania program. As we started growing, we began getting grants, which ended up $2 million, almost all of which was kept in Tanzania. However, during this time, the US economy was hurting. Terrorism began expanding down the Arabian Peninsula toward Tanzania, and the Ebola pandemic broke out in Africa. Fewer volunteers were coming on our Tanzania program. Each of our grant programs concluded, and although our funders were interested in continuing work with Global Service Corps, their funding also ran out. It was a sad day in 2015 when we had to shut down our Tanzania program. During our time in Tanzania, we trained a total of 62,000 youth and community members. So we decided to concentrate our efforts on the Cambodia program. With 95% of all Cambodians practicing Buddhists, our work in Thailand proved 
for us a great foundation for developing the Cambodia program. We soon became aware of the tragic effects on the country and society of the Khmer Rouge genocide of 1975 to 1979. It is estimated that 2 million people, around 25% of Cambodia's population, were murdered during this reign of terror. Discussing the genocide became an essential part of our in-country orientation for all our volunteers. We began to notice the flat affect seen in the facial expressions of the older generation, the generation who directly experienced the Khmer Rouge genocide. We've come to understand that trauma makes a genetic imprint that lingers for three generations. Furthermore, the subdued affect complicated our learning curve and our cultural learning curve in trying to decipher the Cambodian ways of relating and communicating in general. Cambodians are much more reserved than Westerners. So a smile could mean happiness, embarrassment, disagreement, or lack of understanding. We had to be careful not to make assumptions about what we think we're seeing and what we think is being communicated. When we began developing the Cambodia program, we talked to the community to understand what they really wanted. So we developed the following programs. Our HIV AIDS prevention and English education program, our orphanage care program, our Buddhist immersion program, our English education and leadership training program. Together, these programs provided a foundation for our semester programs. Global Service Corps was able to host a group of First Unitarians in Cuba. This is a place where we really found the importance of relationship. During our first planning trip to Havana, we stayed with homestay hostess Mirta, pictured in the upper left-hand corner in this slide. The photo of the man in the upper right is Tony, who served as our driver, translator, and cultural informant. You can see that he's got large pieces of torn tissue he stuck on his face, and he's making fun of Rick. It was bloody hot in Cuba and Rick was constantly wiping his sweaty face with tissues, which always left residual flecks on his sweaty face, residual flecks of tissue. Tony took it upon himself to point out to Rick when he had flecks of tissue on his face so he could fix himself, especially before going into meetings. So for fun, Tony would put pieces of tissue on his face as a joke on Rick. Well, not only did that make us all laugh, Rick and I really enjoyed the moment and were delighted because Tony didn't treat Rick as some big, special, important foreigner, but we were instead on equal footing and friends. We had an opportunity to also take a number of other Unitarians and other friends to our initial friends and family program that we launched in Cambodia. We toured the Royal Palace, the Killing Fields, and Angkor Wat in Siem Reap. Some of our participants volunteered at a home for disabled children, and others lived in a monastery where they learned meditation and Buddhist philosophy while also teaching English to monks. At one point in our work in Cambodia, we had a volunteer who wrote to me expressing disappointment that she hadn't accomplished as much as she had hoped. 
coming from a Western accomplishment oriented culture, this feeling she voiced wasn't unusual. Volunteers want to change the world. In response, I wrote her to not underestimate the importance and the value of showing up and simply being present. As I was writing that, I recognized in myself coming full circle over all those many years. Mine is a story of bearing witness and self-transformation. I wished I understood the value of presence during my first trip in Costa Rica with the bats and the wasps and the raccoon running down the table when I couldn't wait to get the hell out of that place. Global Service Corps has done important work on the ground, but I learned above all, the importance of being present and in relationship with others in community. So this leads us to what's happening more recently. In April, 2020, we had to temporarily shut down the program in Cambodia for many reasons relating to the COVID outbreak. I was very thankful that after one of our last trips to Cambodia, Maxine and I were able to visit for the first time, Reverend Cho Yu-Tek and his son in Korea. We together gave thanks for my grandmother. As we were shutting down, a lot of the protests were happening in Portland. Many of these protests were led by young people and I discovered their concerns were about a lot more than police violence and racial justice. Talking with young people, we learned more of their main concerns, including the environment, racial and gender, economic and healthcare issues. I've been working the past 28 years with young people and here I was now an older person. I wondered if I, along with some of my older friends could be friends and members to these young people, to be friends and mentors to these young people and to help them address some of our shared concerns. So we began an endeavor called the Code Generations Project. Generations collaborating for the common good through dialogue, mutual mentoring and engagement. The number one concern most often mentioned by young people is the climate crisis. So we launched two intergenerational programs specifically aimed at engaging young folks in addressing climate change. The collaborative online domestic and international service learning CODISL program and a climate action group. As you can imagine, Maxine and I are big fans of social work. We are both involved in UU the Vote and a voter registration postcard project. We appreciate the work your congregation is doing in the social justice work areas and look forward in the breakout sessions to discussing our shared areas of service. On the continuum of being and doing, I tend to be more on the being end of things. So while I am actively involved in activities such as the upcoming election and Emily Minister at First Unitarian, I also enjoy the quiet service work of what I call armchair ministry. You've heard of armchair travel, right? Where you discover the world without actually going anywhere. With armchair ministry, we each can serve our world and have a generative impact on the interdependent web of which we are all a part by simply being a focused, loving presence to those close to us and to those further afield. 
how are we present to our world? Well, with armchair ministry, you don't necessarily have to go anywhere or undertake big projects to build community. As we say, love is the doctrine of this church and service is its prayer. It's so good to walk this path together.